so much, team. Thank you for leading us so well. If you have your Bibles, we are in Acts chapter 8, and we are walking through the book of Acts as a church on Sunday mornings, and uh, so we are uh, continuing here. We're going to be in Acts chapter 8. We're going to pick up in verse 26 and walk through the end of this chapter, and um we, I mean, and many of you know this, we, we moved to this area about nine months ago. And so I grew up in North Mississippi, so this is home, uh, but relatively new to being a resident of Olive Branch, Mississippi. And some of you perhaps have moved to the area recently. Some of you have perhaps grown up here all your life. And so uh, if you're uh, one of those, whether you grew up here or perhaps have been here decades, you have seen this city grow. You have seen this uh, city expand that um, I love hearing the stories of, of how like people remember when Goodman Road was, I don't even know if it was a two-lane road or a dirt road or, or even existed, but, but you've just seen change. And so I got curious, so I was just even researching like Olive Branch, Mississippi, just to see what would pop up. And so found this article that from 1990 to 2010, and I confirmed this with uh, Mr. Sam, our weather mayor. And uh, we were the single fastest growing city in the entire country. The entire country, right here. Like 838% growth in that time. And so for many of you where you grew up, like you have seen uh, what were perhaps fields got graded down. And, and you see uh, foundations being laid. And you see plumbing and electrical, you see framing, you see sheetrock going up, you see the outer like brick and mortar and, and all over this community you've seen buildings and you've seen homes and you've seen companies and you've just seen all of this growth that really honestly like explosive growth right here in this community. And, and as we are walking through the book of Acts, what we are witnessing through this incredible gift to us in Scripture is an explosion. It's an explosion of growth like the world had never seen before. And the, the church was growing, the kingdom was growing, and God was building His church. And He's building His church on the foundation of the Word. Like that's what the church is built on, built on the foundation of the Word. The church is built through his Holy Spirit working through ordinary people just like you and just like me who are empowered by the Spirit, sharing the love of Christ and the kingdom is growing. And I, I think it's just we can't say it enough uh, in church, I don't believe, but very important for us to always be mindful that the church is not built by man that it's not built on man's wisdom, it's not built on man's strategy, it's not built on man's strength, it's not built on man's word. We can never, ever take the credit for the building of God's church. Jesus told Peter in Matthew 16, they were in a place called Caesarea Philippi, and, and Peter says that you are the Christ, the Son of God, and Jesus says, and on that foundation, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against. It's Christ who builds the church. And in Acts, we see and are reminded that it is the church, those that have been rescued by God's grace, that are tools in the hands of God to grow 
His church. And that the church is grown and the gospel spreads through a faithful witness. That's what we see all through the book of Acts. And that's kind of the main idea of this passage. Is that the gospel spreads through a faithful witness. And I don't know, perhaps you're a builder or maybe you are building things or you understand that world. But just like in a building project where there are hindrances, weather, like this beautiful weather that we have, happy Mother's Day, everybody that got wet coming to church, like you just can't, you can't schedule the weather and perhaps supplies can't maybe get, there's maybe a back order and it just doesn't make it in time or maybe the workers are few for whatever reason. There are these hindrances and there are hindrances that 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 are that are in us as believers that that for whatever reason they serve as hindrances from us sharing this incredible message of the gospel of Jesus and two identifiable reasons are fear and indifference that these are very real hindrances we fear we fear because what would somebody what would they think if we tell them about Jesus? Are they going to think we're weird? Are they going to think we're strange? Like, what if, they, what if they ask us a question that we don't know the answer to? Or what if we get it all wrong? What if we mess up? There's just this fear of the unknown. Fear of rejection. Like, what if they, what if they just never talk to us again? Or what if they... And we, so we have all these reasons. There's these... They're rooted in fear. And it's not... Being angry at the devil. or It's just like we have fear inside of us. For whatever reason. To share this message. Or indifference. And this is, sounds harsh. But, 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 the, but it is this, this like really challenging question. To us as believers. Is this. Is do we have a genuine burden. For people who don't know Jesus. And is, is like when we think about our prayer life. Like, how often do we find ourselves praying for people who may not know the Lord? And so, so, and this is what we see in the early church. The church is growing. The church is expanding. Jesus says, you're going to be my witnesses. My Holy Spirit will come upon you. You're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth. And we see this gospel being spread out all through the land. And, and what's driving this gospel spread is persecution. It's persecution. It started as being mocked and then it changed into intimidation. And then it changed to physical flogging of the apostles. And then it was the martyrdom of Stephen in Acts chapter 7. And the Bible says that Stephen's martyrdom, that there was a great persecution. So much so that it pushed the church and dispersed the church all through the land. So it's this persecution that's driving people out. The Bible says the apostles stayed back in Jerusalem, but it was the church. It was ordinary people just like you and just like me who've been rescued by God's grace, dispersed all over. And we were introduced to this, uh, to this servant named Philip. He was one of the first deacons. And, and in Acts 6, he's waiting tables. And the following chapters, he's taking the gospel to a place called Samaria which was a place and a people that for centuries were despised. But yet he took the good news. And this is what I love about the good news. And this is encouraging. Is that, is that we, see, uh, we see segments in our culture. We see divides in our culture. We see lines in our culture. There are no lines 
as it relates to God's heart for the nations and God's heart for all people. The gospel moves across social barriers. The gospel moves across ethnic lines. And today we're going to see the gospel went from Jerusalem to Samaria. And now we're going to a, the continent of Africa. And how does that happen? And this is an incredible testimony of the faithfulness of a guy named Philip. So I pray this, this text will challenge us as believers. This text will equip us as believers. That this text will encourage us as believers. So let's look. Acts chapter 8, verse 26. And the Bible says this. It says, Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go toward the south. To the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and he went. A little context. Earlier in chapter 8. We were there last week. Like if there was ever a revival that happened in a place. Revival happened in Samaria. That's where Philip initially went. People's lives are being changed. Like the bondage of sin. And sickness are broken. There was great rejoicing and all over the city. Like it was incredible the work that was happening in the city of Samaria. And in the midst of this incredible revival, the Lord comes to Philip and he says, I want you to leave this place and I want you to go to a desert. <laughs> like I want you to leave this place where you see God is working in incredible ways. And I want you to go to the desert. And here's what's wild. God, through this angel, never even tells Philip why. He just tells him to go. He just tells him to go to this, to this desert. And so for Philip, for God, when God says go, he goes. He goes and he, he's, he has faithful obedience to go. Even without the blanks filled in. Even with all the, all the T's crossed, all the I's dotted, God says go, and he went. And I think it's a testimony to his personal relationship with Jesus. That for this brother, like the, the Acts 2.42 tells us, he says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the word of God, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. And so it was out of this overflow of this personal relationship with the Lord that he had this sensitivity to the Lord and this faithfulness to the Lord. So much so that God says go and he went and he didn't even have a reason why. He didn't know yet, but he trusted God because he had seen no doubt God's faithfulness on behalf of him all his life. And so he didn't need all the blanks filled in because he knew if God was calling him to go, that he could trust the Lord. He had this incredible trust with the Lord. And it is true that sometimes God doesn't give us the whole picture. Like he doesn't show us the end game. He doesn't show us everything. But when he calls us and leads us and, and commands us to go, we can trust him to go. That we go when God calls and that we go where God calls. And so he was sensitive. He was available. And in a great act of faith, he went. And this is one of the first observations that we see. Is that the gospel travels through believers who are sensitive, who are available, and faithful. Not sensitive in the sense of feelings. Like even 
feeling, it's, it's sensitive in, in the sense that like you, you know God is working in your heart and He's leading and guiding, sensitive to the voice of the Lord. And so the Bible says in verse 27 that there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship. Now, Ethiopia is in the continent of Africa. It's in current day Sudan. If you've heard Sudan, this is where we're talking about right here. And, and I thought this was awesome to just to, to see and know, but Greeks and Romans would have considered um, this, this region as the outer ends of the earth. And so even as we hear that this is the plan of the gospel to spread out, the gospel is continuing to spread out. And so this Ethiopian was a eunuch. He had a unique role within the kingdom that he was set aside. And one role would be that he would guard the king's harem. So this is a, this is a, a, a godless kingdom here in Ethiopia. And so they were, uh, they were entrusted with that role. But they were also uh, would rise to positions of high trust and authority. They weren't seen as a threat. And so if they were continued to show themselves trustworthy, they would rise up in the ranks. And so this Ethiopian man is a court official in, uh, in the, the, the kingdom there to Candace. And Candace is not a name. Candace is a title. It's like Pharaoh. He's, he serves the Candace, the queen of the, of the Ethiopians. And in that culture, kings wouldn't handle the business because Ethiopians believed that they were descendants of God. And so they were divinely human, at least they thought they were, and people worshipped them as they thought they were. And so they thought they were too holy for the business. So what happens to the business? The queen takes care of it, to which it's kind of wisdom on that part that a lady would, would be in the details there, like... Very trusted there. So, so he, he is not involved. And so all the business is overseen by the queen. And so the Ethiopian that we're reading about is the, basically the CFO. He's the chief financial officer of this treasury. And so here we go. He had come to Jerusalem to worship. So, so evidently he's a Gentile. So not a Jew. And evidently, somewhere along the way, he embraced Judaism as his religion. And so he had gone up to Jerusalem to worship. He made his way up to Jerusalem. And about this Ethiopian, he, he would never be accepted as a Jew uh, because of the different requirements. And so he was never allowed to go into the temple to worship. He was always left to be on the outside and here we see that this Gentile who has embraced Judaism is now making his way from Jerusalem back down to Ethiopia and he's leaving empty. And I think that's important for us to see is that oftentimes people will look to religion or they will look to different things in order to find satisfaction for their soul, to find rest for their soul, to find peace for their soul. And yet, Yet peace is not found in a religion, but it is found in a relationship with Jesus Christ. And this brother was seeking and he was hungry and he was looking and God worked and God saw. Verse 28, 
says, and he was returning. So the Ethiopian is returning. He's seated in his chariot and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. I love this. Like he just so happened to be reading the prophet Isaiah. And the Spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. And so Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you're reading? This is an amazing scene. If you really think about what this might have looked like playing itself out in real life, Philip is down in Gaza of all places, the wilderness. He doesn't know at this point what God's up to. He was just obedient to the Lord. But God is at work off the grid and he's at work in the city. He's at work everywhere. And so here's Philip. He's sensitive. He's available. And the spirit says go and he goes. And so this carriage with this Ethiopian is on his way back to Ethiopia. And here goes Philip like Philip is running. (laughs) The spirit said go. Philip starts going and he starts running. And he runs alongside this this carriage. and, And as he's Running along this carriage, the, the Ethiopian is reading the scroll of Isaiah. And he hears because it's such a familiar passage and Philip knew the word that he knew what he was reading. And as he was reading, he yells out to him, do you know what you're reading? And so here he is running. Do you know what you're reading? And by the way, this is just another evidence of how wealthy the Ethiopian was. Because you don't just get your hands on a scroll. You don't get your hands on the scroll. These were copies of scriptures. They were handwritten by scribes meticulously produced by the Jewish people. And, uh, and they would cost a fortune. But money speaks. And money is evidently more important than tradition in this case. And so you got the money, you can have a scroll. And so he has this scroll. Philip is running and hearing and he asks, do you understand what you're reading? And here is a incredible application for us today as believers, if our hearts are to share the love of Jesus with others. And that is this effective witnesses will learn how to be effective question askers, question askers, If you ask good questions, it has an incredible way of disarming the situation. Uh, I've shared this a few times on a Sunday morning, but we have a group that gathers on Wednesdays and and literally just meet for prayer and go out to go to door to door with the with the the homes in our neighborhood. And, And the goal of that time is obviously we want to share the love of Jesus, but we have questions. We go with questions and we begin by you know, if they open the door and they're up for a conversation, we just say, hey, are there any needs that you're aware of in your community that possibly, possibly we might be able to help with? And it might be that that question will then open the door to another question. That was, are, do you have any prayer requests? Any way we can pray for you? And that perhaps that may open the door to be able to say, well, just curious, do you, do you have a church home? Are you connected to a church? And that, that it's like one question leads to another. Questions are are an incredible way to share the love of Jesus. My lovely bride and I were at Corky's the other day. Uh, any Corky's fans? A couple. All right. Well, well we, we enjoy it. And so we went and uh, we're ordering. And the lady behind the counter goes, hey, I remember you guys. And so um, maybe we go there more than we should, right? And so, so we're back. 
And, and she says, no, they're like, you prayed for my granddad. And we're like, yeah, how's he going? It's like, he's doing great. He had a, he had a, but, but what happened was she, this was months ago. And it was just simply asking someone, hey, is there something I can pray for you about? That it stuck with her. And it provided an open door to continue to build on that relationship. And so people are, people are looking for genuine, authentic care. When you show genuine, authentic care, people respond. And so he's a great question asker. And so he's sensitive, he's available, he's faithful. Verse 31, and he said, the, the, the Ethiopian says, How can I, unless someone guides me? How can I understand unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. And now the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this. I love the providence of God. We're going to see it all through this story. But he's about to read from the prophet Isaiah. This prophet was wrote 800 years before the cross. And in Isaiah 53, specifically what he's going to be quoting, this was known as the Messianic Psalm, the Psalm or the, the writings of the suffering servant. And so he says this, and he's quoting Isaiah 53. He says, Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter. And like a lamb before its shearer is silent. So he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe this generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. Verse 34. And the eunuch said to Philip, About whom I ask you, does this prophet say this? About himself or about someone else? And then Philip opened his mouth. And beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. I love this. Philip didn't have a pocket New Testament handy and say, hey, let's go to Matthew. Hey, let's go to Mark. Hey, let's go to Luke. Hey, let's go to John. Hey, let's go to Acts. They had not been written. They were being written. They were being lived out, what we're reading about. And so what I love is that Philip takes the Old Testament and shows how it points to Jesus. The Old Testament points us to Jesus. The whole Bible is one story. The Old Testament and the New Testament is one story. It's about one person. It's about Jesus. It's about two events. His first coming and his second coming. And the Old Testament looks ahead and points to the Messiah, to the Savior, to the one who would go to the cross and be crucified for our sin and rise from the dead. The New Testament looks back, looks backward at Jesus Christ, the Messiah, coming and living a perfect life, being crucified on a cross, being placed in the tomb and rising from the dead, the finished work of Jesus. And so all of Scripture points to Jesus. This is a great truth of all of the word. All of Scripture points to Jesus. As believers, it's important for us to have a grasp on the storyline of the word. So that as we interact, as we share, as we share with people, that we're able to know the storyline of the Bible. This is one of the reasons here at our church we have uh, we have what we call D groups, and so we love to see everybody connected in Sunday school Sunday groups. We love to see people connected in serving uh, in different ways, and and our hope is that uh, is that everyone would make their way eventually to a a group called a D group, 
It's short for discipleship, but it's basically groups of two to three with guy groups, girl groups. And, and the, the plan is, is that as a group, you just read the Bible together. You read the Bible together and then at the end of a year, you then replicate. You then invite two or three more and you invite two or three more. And the, and the thing is, we read through the Bible. And not every, not every word of the Bible, but get the grand story of the Bible. And, and what we do is we, we start with Genesis. We start in the beginning. We don't start halfway through or, or in the, the New Testament. Because the Old Testament is essential to us really understanding the New Testament for all that it's worth. And so for Philip, this brother was prayed up and he was studied up. Philip showed this brother that Jesus is the Christ, that he suffered the penalty of sin for the world, that he rose from the dead and that he offers forgiveness to anyone who trusts in him. So in verse 36, the Bible says, and as they were going along the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, see, here's water. What prevents me from being baptized? And so no doubt, that in his teachings of Christ, that he would have walked him through how the Isaiah 53 is fulfilled in the Messiah and how you repent of your sin and place your faith and trust in Christ, you'll be saved. And how Christ's command to those who repent and believe is to be baptized. And so they're coming along and they see water. God's providence again just so happens. Here's some water right here. And so as they were going again, they came to some water and the eunuch said, see, here's water. What prevents me from being baptized? Now, I teach, preach from the ESV translation. And, and so newer translations or, or translations from the Western Roman Empire include a verse 37. And that verse 37 says, and Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, you may. And he believed and he replied, I believe. That Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. That along the way, the scribes felt it necessary to include this detail as a part of the whole story. But there is no doubt that this Ethiopian repented of his sin, placing his faith and trust in Jesus. And now he desires to be baptized. Every single baptism in the New Testament is followed by a public profession of faith. And every baptism we see in the New Testament is a spontaneous baptism. You even look back to Acts 2 where Peter's preaching on the day of Pentecost. Thousands are saved and were baptized. Every testimony of salvation you see is followed by believers' baptism. Not to be saved, but it's an evidence that you've been saved. You are identifying with Jesus. And so in verse 38, the Bible says, And he commanded the chariot to stop. And they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and baptized him. We see authentic faith is reflected in obedience and joy. This Ethiopian knew that God called him, commanded him to be baptized. And so his desire was to obey. To obey in following a believer's baptism. I love to celebrate baptism. We have a baptistry right back here, right behind that screen. It's right here. Why? Because this is the act of obedience for those who repent of their sin and trust in Christ. You've seen somebody, they go down in the water, right? 
They are identifying with Jesus by going under the water, by being immersed. That's what that word baptized means. That's why we immerse. That's what that word means, immerse. And so when you go under the water, you're immersed. You're identifying with Jesus' death and His burial. And then when you raise up in the water, you are you are representing and identifying with his resurrection from the grave and that you are raised to walk in newness of life. So this is a testimony of God's grace and God's love. And I love this part of the story because we see God's providence. There's a pool of water. God's providence is not coincidence. It's not coincidence. This Ethiopian repents of his sin, trusts Christ for salvation and follows in believers' baptism. And we are reminded once again that God is building His church. He's building His church. He's building His church in the busy cities like Samaria, Jerusalem. And He is building His church in the remote places, in the wilderness, off the grid. In the cities of the Philistines back in the Old Testament days. They're working. He's at work. He's at work. He's at Work off the grid. He's at work in Olive Branch, Mississippi. And so when we see and we are reading about the providence of God, we see his sovereign providential hand at work. And what I love about this is you have a brother. We don't know his name, but he's the Ethiopian. What we know is this brother had the scriptures and he was seeking after God. He was seeking the Lord. And I believe with all of my heart, that for all of those who seek Him, He will make Himself known. Matthew 7, 7, Jesus says, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. And this Ethiopian is seeking truth, seeking salvation. And God reveals Himself in a powerful way. So much so that God sees this Ethiopian in a carriage ride reading the scrolls. And there is revival up in Samaria. And the angel comes to Philip and says, You are sensitive to my leadership. You are available to follow my leadership. I am calling you to go. You don't know why yet, but I'm calling you to go. And he went. And you see this divine appointment happening in the wilderness. I love that story. I love that. You see, God is at work. And then this grand finale in verse 39 The Bible says this, and when they came up out of the water, so Philip baptizes the Ethiopian. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away. And the eunuch saw him no more and went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotus, and as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. How cool is that? I mean, how amazing is that? I mean, he, he accomplishes the work that God had for him there. And, and when this assignment was done, there was another assignment. And the word there for carried away literally means to be snatched away, to be taken by force. We didn't have all the details, but all we know is he accomplished the work that he had for him. And he's on to this next assignment. And I love this, but... The eunuch saw him no more, but went on his way rejoicing. Joy is always the mark of a changed life. Joy is always the mark of, of, of this soul that's been rescued. 
And as far as we know from the scriptures, we see in this Ethiopian the very first missionary to Africa. And here is the gospel that makes its way into Candace's kingdom and the king. And no doubt he's taken the good news of Jesus. And now the continent of Africa has received the gospel. And you see this all because you can trace it all the way back to this one ordinary, normal guy named Philip who was sensitive to God's leading, who was available to be used by the Lord and was faithful in sharing. The gospel spreads through a faithful witness and God is building His church. And we all have a role. If you've been rescued by God's grace, we have a mission. We've been entrusted to take the love of Jesus and the good news of Jesus to every uh, marketplace, every workplace, uh, every restaurant, every uh, our homes. The, the church is not this brick and mortar place. The church is those who have been rescued by God's grace. And so just some encouragement for us this morning as we see this testimony is number one to the believers is this. Do not ignore the prompting of the Holy Spirit. Say that to say, is how different would this, this story read if the angel went to Philip and said, I'm telling you to go? And what if instead of the story saying that and Philip went, that what if instead the story read, but Philip refused to go? Or if Philip said, No way. Or if Philip said, Not now. Philip says, God. Do you even see what's happening? Revival's breaking out. There is much work to be done in this place. Like, like I, I need to stay. I need. God says, no, I, I am calling you to go. I'm calling you to go. And so this is encouraging to us. Because those promptings, as you spend time in the Word, and you spend time in prayer, and the Holy Spirit puts those people in your heart, to not quench that. That perhaps there is a neighbor who has recently moved into the neighborhood that you've been meaning to meet. Don't put that off. That perhaps in your uh, work environment, there's a new co-worker that maybe has moved in from some out of town. Don't know whatever reason, but there's been this, this prompting of, I need, to, I need to reach out to them. I need to welcome them. I need to make sure that they're Good, having, like, like, don't ignore that prompting. It could be that there is a family in need that is in your sphere of influence. And the Lord has placed this family on your heart and there's a need. And that can look a lot of different ways. But, but all that to say is don't quench the prompting. Don't ignore the prompting. And that you would share and no doubt Oftentimes, these are divine appointments. And that in those moments, we would just be careful to ask good questions. Not in a, in a, I'm talking in a very caring way, like I genuinely care about your life, your world, and what you're walking through. A missional church, which is what we pray to be, a missional church is made up of people who are led by the Spirit. And so I would also say this, is it's very easy to... To have questions or, or people have questions. And my encouragement is this. And it always is. It's, 
It's, it's, we need to be equipped and we need to be able to guide and walk alongside. And even if you don't know the answer, it's okay. Just say, hey, that's a great question. Let me circle back around with you. But may I encourage you, make a beeline to Jesus. Wherever you're in the conversation, make a beeline to Jesus because it is who Jesus is that separates Christianity from all other false religions. And I'm just thankful that for Philip, he didn't say, not now, Lord. Not now. Don't ignore the promptings. The second encouragement would be for us to know our word. Not be overwhelmed by the word, but to know our word. God has gifted us His Scripture, all in Scripture. It's God-breathed. It's His divine instruction. It's profitable for every area of our lives. Don't hear the whisper of the enemy that says it's too hard to understand. It's written long. No, no, the word is alive and active. It's the only book it's been said that when you read it, the author's there. Shows up sharper than a two-edged sword. And so I encourage all of us to spend time in the word, not to hope God loves us more, but so we can know him more. We want to know the one who rescued us. And so we read the Word. I heard one person was asked, well, like, what's a good reading plan to read? And, and to which the, the person said, any, any plan you'll read. Like, any Bible plan is a good Bible plan if you're in the Word. And so, let's be committed to the Word. I would also say that if there's anyone here, or anyone listening online, that you have had that time in that place, just like the Ethiopian where you repented of your sin and placed your faith and trust in Christ, but maybe for whatever reason, you've never followed in obedience to believers' baptism, then I would encourage you, there is no better day than today. There's no better day than today. That you would follow in obedience to believers' baptism, not because it makes you saved. It doesn't make you saved. We're saved by grace through faith. But, but baptism is the outward symbol of an inward change in our lives. And one more to the believer, just an encouragement, is that if you're here and you're struggling and you're hurting, and there are a lot of, there are a lot of things that don't make sense in life, that in this passage we have incredible encouragement to see that God is at work. And God is working in the busy places and He's working off the grid. And He's working in ways that we may never see or never completely understand. But the peace comes in knowing that He's God and He's faithful and He's in control. And He will show Himself faithful on your behalf. He is trustworthy. He is trustworthy. And lastly, I would just encourage that, that if you're here and perhaps listening online, that maybe you relate to the Ethiopian in the story. Like perhaps you've even had a copy of God's Word. The, 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 the Ethiopian, he has a copy of the scroll. You may have found yourself reading it from time to time. He's reading the Word. He's, he's reading the Word. But yet, but yet, don't miss and be encouraged with the fact that it's what the Word or who the Word points to. It's, it's Christ. And the fact that you were made for a relationship with Him. The fact that there will be no peace apart from a relationship with Jesus. That there will be no fulfillment in this life apart from a relationship with Jesus. That every other road except for Jesus is a dead-end road. 
But yet Christ said, I have come that they may have life and have life to the full. And just as the gospel came to this Ethiopian in a desert. The good news of Jesus has come to your heart today. And there's this invitation that says, whosoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. That the Bible says, Romans 10, 9, that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whosoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. This is the most important decision a person can ever, ever make. And so if that's you, my encouragement is today would be the day of salvation. Just like we read that that day was the day of salvation for this Ethiopian. And you would acknowledge your need for Jesus. You would have a change of mind about your sin. Have a change of mind and direction with your life. Receive Jesus as the Son of God. The one who paid the price for your sin. The price we could never pay. He was placed in a tomb and he rose from the dead. And he extends this life and this eternal life that is only possible through Him. And so I encourage you, if that's you, that today would be the day of salvation. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank You for today. God, thank You for Your love and for Your care. God, thank You for this passage of Scripture. That, Father, that we are reminded by so much in this Word... But God, in it, we see your faithful, your faithful work, God, in all the lands, off the grid and in the city. That God, as you see a heart who has turned their affection to you, reading your word, God, that you sent a faithful, willing, available, sensitive, obedient disciple. It's like, hey, do you know what you're reading? brings him up and he points him to the only one who can bring peace and forgiveness and grace and eternal life and purpose and that's you and so father for the believers in the room may we be sensitive and available and faithful and father for anyone who may be here today that does not have a relationship with you that today would be the day of salvation Father, we love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We're going to have a song of response. And as we do, just know if you're here today, and you're like, you know, I just like somebody to pray, to pray. There's something specific going on that I'd love you to pray about. Uh, I'll be here and, and uh, Pastor Charlie will be here. We, we would love to pray with you. The altar is always open, but just be sensitive again. It's about being sensitive to how the Holy Spirit is leading you in this time.